Yes, I am scaring everybody. I, you know, in the sense that <laughs> even, I can't do it. If, if, the, if the town can't do it, and I'm showing you how hard it is. So see Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere in the internet, WFPR.fm, and in your local Franklin Mass FM radio dial at home in the car, 102.9. Here in the studio today for another Franklin for All discussion, this time focusing on the new growth aspects. And we'll do a round of introductions so you'll know who is talking and you be, should be able to recognize the voices. Uh, many of whom you've heard before at one time or another. So there's no surprises here. So, yeah, Steve Sherlock here, and let's start with uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm Melanie Hamblin, Franklin Town Council, Chair of the Economic Development Subcommittee and the Steering Committee for the Franklin for All Projects. Thanks again, Steve, for letting us come in and talk. Morning, everyone. Toby Frangillo, Vice Chair of the Economic Development Committee um, and the Town Councilor. Uh, Brad Chappie, owner of Tampa Property Group, local developer and builder. And we have two special guests as part of the discussion today. Yay! <laughs> Someone you've never heard of before. Uh, That's Helen. why you're special. Exactly. <laughs> Jamie Helen, uh, the town administrator, and I'll do my best to uh, walk everybody through new growth. New growth, yes. And remotely connected for the moment and soon to be better connected. Hi, uh, Tom Mercer, uh, town council. Council Chair, and I'm uh, very happy to be here and part of this discussion. Excellent. So this is one of the continuation of the Franklin for All, and I'll let the rest of you introduce <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm the yeah. facilitator. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, so um, this is, I think this is number eight of our podcast about Frank, the Franklin for All project and about zoning and how it affects everyday life around us. Uh, and, it, and it also has been sort of a a storyline about how I've learned about zoning and why I find it very interesting and really cool. And before I really didn't, but now I do. Because and one of the things about the Franklin for All project that we talk about all the time is that our new zoning and and um, to create the things that we can't create anymore. One of the things I found was very interesting was that how zoning affects new growth. And so we can be really restrictive and restrict new growth, or we can open up a little bit and allow new growth to occur because it's so important to the budget. And as we talk about all the time in the town council, this is our number one thing is to come up with a balanced budget. And there are all these little things that are all connected and all these points help us um, improve our revenue. So, um, that's why I really am excited to be here to talk about this. What about you, Kobe? Yeah, no, I think that's big, right? Through these conversations we've been having, we've been talking about uh, the importance of different uh, housing types and housing availability. Uh, we've talked about the importance of design and, and sort of building a town that we look like. We talked about walkability um, and so basic things. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, people want services. Uh, they want to live in a place that can provide them um, certain services. And uh, we afford those services primarily through property taxes. And so um, our ability 
to sort of uh, enjoy the life that we want to live in Franklin um, is very much tied to the value of uh, our properties. And so having that conversation around you know, how the budget intertwines with um, all the planning discussions we've had, um, to me, is the, is the most important um, piece of this all. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, if, if you could walk us through um, what is new growth, what what is our revenue, sort of loosely what share of our budget come from property taxes why are those so important why are we capped um and, and why do we need new growth lots of questions well, and you only have like 15 minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably five right <laughs> well that's a lot of questions i would i would first say to all the listeners um if uh if you really want to get into a deeper dive um, both recently on the uh, franklin town hall uh, youtube page as well as Franklin Matters and 102.9. I know the audio is out there. From, mm-hmm. In the last year, I think I've done three overviews. I think I did one at the FinCom uh, the summer of 2022 on revenue breakdowns. Um, I did one at the FinCom hearing in May of this year. Right. And then also one just last week at the town council hearing. Um, just to your point on that, in terms of the secondary sources, the FinCom budget hearing, your first 20, 30, 30 minutes, minutes or so, yeah. I separated that from the budget hearing. So right. that's a separate piece of a podcast right. that people can just listen to that because that's effectively what you go through. It's effectively what it is. And to answer the questions that, that Kobe and Mel just brought up, I mean, it's essentially that. I mean, um, you know, as I kind of uh, articulated last week, I mean, there's three major revenue sources, right? There's state aid. Um, there's what's called local receipts, or in the school case, they have what's called revolving accounts, which is essentially like fee for service, mostly, not all, but mostly. Um, and then and third is your property tax levy, which Kobe just brought up. And those are your three largest sources of revenues. As we all know, and how it relates to the budget, state aid has flatlined. Um, and we've talked about this, I think, you know, mm-hmm. ad nauseum as well. Maybe maybe some of the listeners out there already already know, but um, it's just kind of a perfect storm of of mm-hmm. not because of a lack of representation on Beacon Hill. It's really because of some um, economic and property dynamics. Um, you know, throughout the last thirty years in Franklin, of why state aid is leveled off. Local receipts, I mean, ebb and flow. Um, you know, and so if there's demand for service, generally local receipts go up. Ryan Jetty's our our biggest, you know, example, the easiest to understand example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and so really, uh, that's recreation to, department or sports. Yep. Right. Um, and so I think as as Kobe pointed out a moment ago, I mean, property taxes really are your are your general foundational revenue source for your town budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are based off property values. Um. And every year, um, folks could, listeners can go out there and Google things like Proposition Two and a Half and um, and New Growth and get a whole litany of um, resources. You, know, you can Google Cherry Sheets um, and get a bunch of resources from the state um, that'll put you to sleep. Um, but ultimately, um, the, the uh, infamous Proposition Two and a Half law caps the ability to raise property taxes every year at two and a half percent. And if you um, if a community wants to go above two and a half percent as its revenue source, they have to do something called an operational or a dedicated override. Um, the O word. The O word. Um, <laughs> Nobody wants to say that. Um, the one differentiation from it, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into the weeds a little bit further, is what's called a debt exclusion. Um, a debt exclusion is usually for the life of a project. It's a one-time source. 
And then actually, as I articulated in the budget presentation that I just plugged a moment ago, um, Franklin's in the unique position of actually showing how a debt exclusion works right now because actually small portions of the taxes that were raised to pay for um, Keller Sullivan or Horace Mann and Oak um, and all those school projects are now sunsetting off the books. Um, and I highlight that, um, Steve, right, in yep. the um, in revenue forecast. Yeah. So when you say a tax levy, there's your base tax levy plus 2.5%. There's your new growth for the year, and I know we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and then, do you have any additional debt exclusions um, to add or subtract from the tax levy? And um, it's important for everybody to know that it's not just the highest number you want to see. It's important to go through the entire calculation of how you calculate the tax levy. And again. If they just Google Massachusetts tax levy, you'll get a, a primer and a guide, several guides, I think, from mm -hmm. the OR that really right. walk through the mechanics of how this all works. Uh, I do want to give a plug uh, to our uh, town board of assessors, yes. uh, our elected board of assessors, as well as our assessor staff, the appraisers, um, and all the finance staff um, who work on this constantly day after day throughout the whole year. Um, it's kind of, in some ways, a never-ending process. And that's what really gets to new growth, is, is it's kind of a cycle that continues on all year, 12 months a year, 365 days a year throughout. There's just some small deadlines in the, in the middle mm -hmm. <laughs> where the state says in law, hey, you got to set your tax rate by this date. You got to do this by this. This is when you have to have your year, your, your bills paid by the end of the fiscal year. So there are some deadlines outlined in state law, right? Mm -hmm. But generally, the capturing of Jamie, I was just going to say you might also uh, just speak to that with a debt exclusion, the dollar amount annually differs as you go through the length of the debt exclusion. It's not the same every year. That's correct. On a debt exclusion, you have a, a principal and interest payment schedule. Um, similar to, to a mortgage that people would Similar to a mortgage, out. just like we just did with the open space as well, in Schmidt Farm and Maple Hill. And so that tax uh, follows what that payment schedule is. I think that's what uh, Chair Mercer was trying to get at. Yeah, which is why we've seen, as you highlighted, the sunsetting of the uh, Jefferson, Horace Mann, those were smaller amounts. But in a town budget, if you're taking, I think it was four or 600,000 out, yeah. those initially in the first years were in the million, in a million or so. Yeah. Now they've come down because of the principal interest payments. They're the last ones. They're rolling off at 20 years. It is lesser amount, but it still reduces our tax levy. It was just about 120,000. Um, and the reason why I remember that is if you took the overall tax levy number times two and a half percent, you would have been the town would have had one hundred and fifty thousand in additional revenue. However, when you really calculate the full number, our new growth number went slightly down. We're anticipating for FY24. And to your point, another one hundred and twenty thousand in taxes sunset off the levy. Mm -hmm. So it looked like there was three and a half million in additional revenue, but really it was 3.3 million. Right. And that's from our perspective, writing the budget, you can't anticipate revenue you don't think is really going to be there. And in the case of the debt exclusion, you know that money's not going to be there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, new growth could 
is an estimate. Could offset that. that. Could well, it could be way higher, could be way low. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just like your own household income. You're looking out towards January 1st of each year and say, okay, what can we afford next year? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, one thing to kind of understand and remind everybody is, I know we're getting a little off track into the budgeting, but it we're anticipating these revenues. They didn't come in yet. Right. Right. <laughs> This is your so guess. we're fighting. This is your know, educated guess. This is an educated guess, yeah, right? Based on good policy, right? A whole, you know, mm -hmm. based on you know, great team analyzing the marketplace. And I said it this year to transition into new growth. We use a 10 year new growth average when we look at our number that we anticipate for the following year. And I even put it in the budget narrative to hit the new growth number that we're estimating in FY24, I think is a, is a, is a, it will be a huge fee. Mm -hmm. Why? I think as Brad knows, there's a lot of risk in the marketplace. There's risk yeah. all over the place. Sure. I mean, and so when you have a lot of risk, mortgage rates, interest rates, lending issues, mm -hmm. um, you know, so people are going to sit on the sidelines. And by the way, that also means in the terms of new growth, that's just not for Brad as a as, as a residential developer or commercial industrial developer. Uh, but that's also for the homeowner, where a lot, if not a majority of our new growth comes from, are from property improvements of private residences. Right. So what does that mean? Oh, well, I put an addition onto my kitchen. I did a renovation of the mudroom. I uh, was on House Hunters, you know, Farmhouse Fixer or something. I went through and I, I, I added, did a renovation. Or I added another dwelling unit. Or I added another I dwelling two unit. Family, I'm a three-family now. Two-family to a three-family. Accessory dwelling um, yeah. There's a a, mere, a new deck, um, driveway. I mean, a whole new appliances. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that people do to their homes. Well, where's is that? Are people taking those kind of risks? Why did the town have record-breaking new growth numbers in and around the pandemic? One, before the pandemic, there was really no worry about risk. And then all of a sudden, people had projects in the pipeline. They were financed already, either a homeowner or commercial industrial developer. And those projects kind of quickly got done mm -hmm. yeah. um, okay. because they were already in the pipeline. So for two years, while they were dealing with supply chain problems and regulations and masks and a whole variety of other things okay you know those projects were getting done and that new growth was getting captured well now we have a different marketplace and so the big question going into 24 and fy 25 is going to be where's the global you know market economy stand national economy too and say well our residences are our businesses putting more um, capital into the marketplace to do more renovations to mm -hmm. capture that unanticipated new growth. So mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's also really important and very interesting to think about it. Uh, new growth as as a, as a double thing, right? So there's the local receipts from like the developer, right, right. Brad? Like you, yep. you. Um, and then and then after the fee i'm gonna let brad actually discuss one of his recent projects and then so there's this new growth there's the, the there's the local receipts there are the fees that the developer pays and then there's the increase in taxes that can that come from that development right and so it's and that's and the fee, the local fees, local receipts. That's a one-time thing, or 
sometimes in Brad's case, a 10 times thing, 10 yeah. times thing, but that goes away. And then the increase in the valuation of that property is what helps drive all of the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, I can jump. I can jump. You want to like Brad to jump in for a second and sure. talk about one of his projects? We'll keep the tracks going. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah no, I guess that's I why we have this discussion. Yeah, I know. I know. It's also a question. I think I got a question too. So, um, so bouncing from kind of commercial recent project we did was on Panther Way. Yeah. Roughly, you know, rough, rough terms, forty thousand square foot um, commercial slash kind of storage uh, building. So. Project like that, and you hear this a lot between uh, different types of assets or buildings, draining resources or not, right? So you have a commercial building where maybe between um, all the, I guess, the building fees, the planning fees, all the fees we have to do, where does a lot, I guess, that money that comes in for that? It's not property tax, right? We're not there. We haven't finished it. That's all. Is that all operational money that goes and basically into that budget that we talked about earlier? Mm-hmm. And that's something that's... You don't know where it's going to go, right? That's basically what you were talking about before. Right. Um, so essentially, a lot of the revenue in terms of local receipts, someone may pay for licensing and fees would be structurally in the local receipts. However, if it was not anticipated, it was not projectable, say a building did come online mid-year that we didn't anticipate, um, Do you look that, at that would actually then go into free cash. Okay. So then that goes into free cash. It goes into the capital program. Do you ask, so there's another question. Do yeah. you guys, when we go into planning, say some of our projects right now are approved and they've been approved for six months, we haven't started them yet. Just right. basically a little economics. Yeah. Is that something that you guys actually take into account into your budget? Like, hey, here's a project that could come online this year or next year. Yeah. That's something that for planning wise? Or? In terms of, in, well, there's two different revenues we're talking about here just for yeah. the public. This is not really new growth. So I, I just, there's a different system that gets worked on. So in this case, no, neither to both, right? Is that actually they would anticipate when that building got occupancy, you know, we would calculate that into the new growth um, system throughout the middle of the year. Those building fees, if you were to come online and you had to pay, say, $100,000 had to come in, that would get free cash. Gotcha. So that gets certified after the um, tax rate gets set in fall. And so anything like that goes in free cash. So that helps our free cash number, helps our capital number. Uh, but that's just a one-time revenue source. Mm-hmm. And people need to understand the differences between the one-time revenues and the structural revenue. So a lot of the one-time revenues in, you know, the town's been very good about this for a long time. And you're going to start to see this, as I mentioned in the budget hearing with other cities and towns that used ARPA funds in their budget, federal stimulus one-time funds. Uh, Mr. Nutting was just in the, or my president was that's just right. in the paper today yeah. in Hopedale. Um, for years, they used one-time revenues to plug their operational budget. And what happened to them? We just learned this morning they had to do a one and a half million dollar override just to keep the library, the senior center, and some of the other core services open. Why? Because that one-time revenue wasn't there. Anymore. Yeah. So when you when 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 a when um, building fees dry up, right in a market maybe not like today, but hopefully it doesn't come. But we've seen them in the past where growth and development just doesn't happen because nobody's willing to take All of a sudden that revenue source dries up. Franklin has always um, done a very good job of holding the line at not using one-time revenues in its operational budget. And that does help the new growth uh, factor of things because ultimately um, you're using structurally um, uh, competent revenue sources to pay for your operational budget. So you're gonna see less ebb and flow in Franklin. 
than you are in some other communities who are fighting to use a lot of those one-time revenues. Towns that use free cash based on permits, in this case, with what you're bringing up, once that 100000 that you spent this year on a building permit goes away next year because you're not going to have another project the year after, yeah. your operating budget now is 100000 in the red the following year. Um, and so not using one-time revenues is key um, for, for, uh, to balance the budget. Yeah. Um, I guess when you get it now to just another quick follow-up on like, all right, it's so another building's built to get property tax, right? Mm -hmm. Is there really any... <clears throat> You hear this a lot, and I think the, yeah. the public is, hey, kids in schools, right? <laughs> is there really a big difference between, let's, let's say multifamily, because obviously a lot's going on with that. Yeah. But the property values, I know of, you know, between an apartment, a condo building, a, you know, a plus 55 community call, I know it's a little outside, but is it really, it's all property tax to the town. It, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, is, you know, any school children? <clears throat> well, I know this. I, guess well, I think there's two aspects of that, if you would. I can yeah. start, you can correct me <laughs> based on what I've been hearing. If it's an apartment, then the apartment owner complex is based upon their assessment and right. board of assessors at the tax hearing, et cetera, expl explain in more detail, and I'll try and summarize that. It's kind of based on their utilization and the property assessment, their revenue stream, that determines their tax. Yes. Right. So that's a little different from if it's more of a condo. Granted, then you've got individual condo owners also based upon property assessments mm -hmm. and it's based upon that. So you technically may get more from a condo than you would from apartment. And then it's going to be bedroom size is going to determine the feasibility of family and driving yeah. schools. I, I, I'll, I'll levitate up a few 10,000 more square, 10,000 more feet. Uh, this guy on this one. So, I mean, from my standpoint, you know, I think if we walk back a little bit, you see a piece of property from a business perspective, if it's an improvement to the property, regardless of whether it's a condo, an apartment, a single family house, an ADU, commercial, industrial, residential, it's an improvement in the property. And hence, you're going to have a more valuable piece of property that's improved, and 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 it's going to enhance the overall levy. So, from my standpoint, <laughs> it's it's really yeah, it's, it's really it's, it's really like not. I mean, this, this is to get into Mel's point earlier about zoning, and I think why you know um, yourself and Kobe and many others care about this so much is. Well, then the question is, what do you want the community to look like, right? And so if we, and this has been my like caution a little bit on like linking, you know, all of this to the revenue budget so much, it's because, you know, what if condos and apartments were the highest and best value, but people don't like them, right? <laughs> right? Then all of a sudden you have a conflict of, well, we hate apartments. Why are we building so many apartments? We hate them. We don't like them. Um, you, you know, whatever. It's like, well, from my standpoint, you know, there's a private property rights element to it. There's a zoning code to it. Community may say something's by right. Who am I to say one thing should be there or not? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really my job, right? right? No. Um, and so I look at it and say, wow, you know, I mean, that's going to be a value added a need for the community. Pleasant Street was a great example. There is a huge need for that, uh, for housing at that um, at that buy-in value, at that purchase price. So that's a that's a great thing. 
um, the community. Um, you know, I'm not sitting in the back of my head constantly just saying cha-ching, cha-ching. There's no element of that that, that really comes into it because it's a, a better use. The school kid issue is weird because, you know, at the end of the day, I've never agreed with really the economics of these decisions. You know, I mean, people do have to understand the per pupil cost is going to far out is going to cost way more than what they pay in property mm -hmm. taxes. Mm -hmm. That's always been the case and will mm -hmm. probably always be the case. Right. So to get into the specifics of like kids versus mm -hmm. non-kids, you know, which ones have kids, which ones don't, I, I don't know if that, I, I've never really agreed on that kind of whole premise. And I've seen a lot of studies done with like in legacy <laughs> farms in Hopkins when I worked there, one of the largest areas of growth in Massachusetts. And they do all these cost metrics on, you know, 1.47 children per house, da, 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 da. But in reality, that's not really what ends up happening. You know, they never come, it never comes out to one point, whatever kids per household. It's all, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so it, it, I've never really agreed on the mathematical equation of all that. Um, Almost feels like it, the opposite's happening right now too. It may be the opposite, right? right? So right. that kind of is going away. I'd say that it's less people people live in the state. Yeah, exactly. And all that stuff is less people right. having kids. It actually should be decreasing. So it's I think that whole maybe conversation stuff. Yeah, the, the entire birth rate piece right. is a worldwide effect. Yeah. Certainly, the U.S. and math yeah. in particular, math in particular, um, yeah. are facing that. Mm -hmm. And birth rate is one, separate from the fact that people are leaving. <laughs> well, yeah, that may affect some of the birth rate because if the younger leaving, then those are the ones that are birth ready potentially, and they're not. Right. They're not happening. Those have decreased over the last few years, and right. they're going to continue, other than the small COVID spike so to speak, in, in births. Right. When everybody was home, as you look to the future, they start to decrease again. Yeah, and the, the spike was small because of the risk that we were talking about. Even in the middle of COVID, granted, people were home, but there was such a risk awareness around and uncertainty that people didn't want to commit. Right. That's right. I, I think people can actually rationalize why the numbers uh, aren't fully... Uh, applicable. If you imagine that we have a uh, hundred school kids in Franklin, and we add on a school kid, we don't also add on uh, one percent of a building, one percent of a teacher, one percent of a principal. Right? You don't actually break up someone that much. It's not until you get twenty-five kids that you need a new teacher. It's not until you need a hundred kids that you need a new uh, administrator. It's not until. Uh, 400 kids that you might need to uh, talk about uh, a new building. So it's not, you know, when you talk about how uh, we pay X percent um, per pupil, that's how much it costs uh, the town, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. One additional new kid does not cost the town ten to 15. It actually might cost the town almost nothing because we already have the books, we already have the teacher, we already have mm -hmm. the uh, administrator. So it, it, we're talking in much uh, larger scales. Um, where that math doesn't work and where um, I come a little bit back to, um, we need to you know, rationalize growth with um, our budget is when you add on um, a mile of road and a mile of pipe, and a, that is a mile of road and a mile of pipe, that's the yeah. same uh, cost, whether it's downtown as it is, whether it's the uh, edge of town. Right, um, you know, to some extent, uh, a road's a road, and pipes a pipe, and um, you know, water and sewer 
and, and all of that. And so one of the things, you know, uh, the uh, question that comes up a lot is, um, what, you know, <laughs> why do we need to keep growing? I think uh, to some extent, uh, this comes back and, and I, I regularly cite Strong Towns. I found them to be a very helpful resource when I was really starting to, to understand this. And one of the principles that they talk about is uh, the, the growth Ponzi scheme. Essentially, you know, when a new development, residential development uh, came in, you know, think of it as a, a few cul-de-sacs with uh, 50 buildings. When that first gets made, the developer builds the road and builds all the new homes. So all those new homes count as new growth. And, you know, outside uh, the school children, um, we didn't have to pay for the road. We didn't have to pay for the sidewalk. We didn't have to pay for the uh, water uh, or the sewer. And so for the first lifespan of all of those pieces of infrastructure, essentially everyone's just giving us money without adding to our expenses. That's awesome. Uh, and it was really exciting. Uh, but then uh, after that lifespan is over, 30, uh, 40 years, if you, you know, are building these, these things well, um, now you have, now all those things um, start to, all those expenses start to come. And in order to pay for those, well, let's do exactly what we just did. And, uh, you know, add a new subdivision that's got, you know, another 50 homes and, and they're paying for the first thing of infrastructure. And so this is what we did for uh, 30 years where it felt like we were getting richer um, by growing. And what we didn't quite realize, and I've, I'm saying frankly, but it, you know, everyone, <laughs> everyone everywhere in, in the US didn't quite do the math that we're actually never catching up to our uh, infrastructure costs, right? The uh, Over the 30 year lifespan of those, the, the buildings, the, you know, the property owners have not paid enough to even cover those costs. And so if you're just chasing it through uh, other costs, then eventually uh, they just start adding up. And so uh, as we talk about, so this is why, so we have uh, expenses that exceed what our ability uh, to pay is, right? If you want the same level of road and sidewalk and lighting and uh, pipe and sewer, those expenses cost more money uh, than we have. And so we actually, uh, need to uh, continue finding um, new sources for revenue. And this is where we talk about how does this impact development and why we talk about uh, downtown so much is uh, if you want to sort of break that cycle, um, then at some point we need to uh, build on already existing infrastructure as opposed to building on new infrastructure in order to chase uh, that new revenue. So if we're able to um, get our new growth be it you know, property improvements or uh, infill uh, between other uh, properties, then that becomes a more uh, cash positive um, method of growth as opposed to chasing new uh, subdivisions. And just follow up with, with that. I mean, I think, I mean, COVID's clearly right. I mean, for 50 years in Metro West, you know, private roads, public ways, these are bad trends that um, set us up. If people are frustrated, the infrastructure, the condition of infrastructure, uh, you know, he's exactly right in the sense that 40 years ago when these things were built, um, and as some people all too well know too, 
um, certain developers still literally own roads in Franklin, like the actual road. Mm -hmm. um, right. well, the the, the, these types of legal, legal issues we go through all the time with public street acceptances. And it, it's very confusing to a lot of people. You, you One of the best days in your life is buying a home and you <laughs> typically you know, don't really read through it clear enough to know that somebody else owns your road and you're contributing to some other uh, system of, of a private way or what seems like a road isn't really a road. Fortunately, there aren't very many of those left in Franklin, but they exist all throughout Metro West. And mm -hmm. it was a trend probably in the 70s and 80s after 495 was built. Um, where a lot of towns did not have any capacity to think this stuff out into the future. Um, it just was perfectly fertile land, agricultural land with phenomenal soils. Mm -hmm. And people wanted space. And they still want space because yeah. that's a human instinct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love space. Yeah. Um, you know, and so people, uh, you know, they did the best they could. I think the one question, and I think the conversation point that I think Kobe brings up, ultimately is, who pays and how? So, and what's the standard? You know, we, we town did an override, a dedicated override in 2014 um, and, and really lost um, for one and a half million dollars dedicated to just road work. Right. So the question really ultimately on this issue is what's the standard the public agrees upon and what are they willing to pay for and how or not. And if the public isn't going to pay for it in some sort of way through water rates, sewer rates, property tax increases, I got the bad news for Brad. Uh, Brad's <laughs> probably the guy who's going to have to pick up the bill someday. Because in all truth, when Brad is building or, or any other developer in town or any community, this is not just related to Franklin, right. by the way, <clears throat> any community, well, what's the over-under on a private sector individual uh, whether it's a local developer or more of a conglomerate national development company, right? Like over maybe in Forge Park, um, you know, there's different numbers and there's different capital that they have access to. If the town said, well, you've got to rebuild the whole road, you've got to rebuild all the water, you have to do everything. I think part of the, the rub here is I, I, some projects would just not happen. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't. Right. And so ultimately to, to Consul Frangillo's point, and I think, the, the conversation point is if that's the standard, where are we going to go to get that revenue to pay for that? Um, I don't, I don't know. And I think it's an evolving answer to that question. I, I don't know if it's exactly right, but if you just look at the data points, you know, you, we could say the public is, is, is angry about roads and sidewalk conditions, but if you propose to them a $5 million override, right. To pay for that, they may say, I'm okay with it being crumbled. Yeah. Right. No, right. I think right. that I think that's big. I talk about the the sort of three uh, buckets of, of making the balance work. We I say that you, you can't have uh, low density, high services, and low taxes. One of those or all three have to give uh, at some point, right? And I, I think we talk about um, you know them separately. So either we add. Um, we get a little more uh, compact. That's more revenue per uh, service square foot. Um, we all agree to pay more. That can be through direct property taxes or it can be through uh, other fees, right? You think of other uh, communities that are, are able to um, sort of stay low density um, but have high service rates. Uh, they're, they're usually paying um, much more 
directly through properties or adding to in like buying up through land trusts and things like that, right? Those, those are sort of uh, rich uh, communities. And then your your uh, right, so you got paying, you got uh, sort of how compact you are within the servant, and then you got services. And I think services is not just fire and police, although it certainly is. But if you think of, of a more rural community that has low taxes and low density, why does it work? Because they don't expect a sidewalk all the way down to their home that's five miles away uh, from downtown. Um, you know, and, and, and you know they don't expect uh, full uh, lighting on on every street, and that's like a, a very real decision um, that you can make. And I think to some extent, you know, we we have to. I, I think it's a, you know Franklin is sort of a community that balances all of these, and we're going to have to continue. So we might need to get a little more compact. We might need to chip in a little more, and we might need to, uh, you know, sort of recognize that we can't, you know, uh, guarantee uh, town water to the furthest reaches uh, of the community. Um, and the irony of that is, I think, I think you spot on. I think if I got this correctly, I think part of the issue in Franklin and is that we are we have been victims of our own success. Absolutely. In the sense that we are not a hugely dense community. It does have a very low tax rate and a great bargain. Yeah. And and so and the service level is very high. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the troubles you've seen in the budget model over the last 12 years is I think the general citizenry is seeing all sorts of improved metrics, whether it's a AAA bond rating, an ISO one or an accredited police department, mm -hmm. but they're also seeing a, a extremely high level of achievement as evidenced last week from from the high school and from the school district, both with athletics, academic achievements, extracurricular activities. And so that's one of the hardest things to be in that pickle. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, ultimately to what you just said, Kobe, you're right, is is we're already, we've achieved that as a community. I think the community sees that. And I think that makes it more challenging sometimes to make those decisions to break that up. Right. Change that model and that the dichotomy is difficult because people are saying, what's the problem? Yeah, uh, and, and that's what makes Franklin such an attractive community. Right. It's going to increase your right. property value. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and Brad likes that for sure. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly, that's exactly that. the issue, yeah. Jamie, is that people expect this to continue right. forever yeah. this way. And we know, I think, <laughs> the administration has been saying this for years now. This can't continue. No. Something has to give. Something in the three pots, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's what, in, in my mind, a lot of the Franklin for All was about. Mm -hmm. was about how do we increase density? How do we increase new growth in areas where we don't have to do more infrastructure? Mm -hmm. right? we, we, we increase that, but no infrastructure increases in our, in our, in our costs, yeah. right? Um, and so, and, but this is a really good discussion about how the, if we just keep growing on the outside, how it's just going to fail, like we can't afford that. And so that's why we really need to think about how, like the downtown area where we can actually increase the amount of new growth we can get there, um, without increasing our costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to pick up on a couple of things that. <laughs> Okay. To help clarify for me and potentially for the listeners, 
Um, we did reference market. So there are market increases out there that because we're a high demand community, yeah. we've seen high demand for high. our properties, yes. right? Which affects yeah, right. the property values, which comes back to the tax increases and enables us to get some additional growth without having to quote, do anything, everything else equal. The increase in demand is going to increase the values and that increases our tax revenues. But we can't count on that. And right. clearly that also happened in 2007. We did pass the override 2008. What happened? The market crashed. All of that increase in revenue went out the door and right. we've been kind of behind the hate ball since then. So what is in our control is this new growth aspect that we at least can control in order to help that demand as well as affordability of housing, et cetera, in the, in the town. Exactly. It's not um, it's not the only thing that's going to help, but it's a big piece of it. And um, one of the other things I think about a lot is like, yeah, so we keep like there's a huge demand to come here because we're we're a vic victim of our own success, as mm. everybody likes to say. But there's going to come a time where that success goes away. And then people aren't going to want to come here. And then it's really going to be bad. Right. So we, I think people need to remember that. Like we need to um, really work hard to help all the little, the triple um, pots that Kobe talked about because it, it come up with solutions. It's not going to be one. It's going to be multiple solutions to really um to, to make sure that we stay a, a, a city or town that's in demand. That people want to come to, and so I think that's that's sort of where I think Kobe's shaking his head, but nobody can see him. He's looking. I mean, but that's kind of what um, our goal is, and and what makes us passionate about this, right? No, I think that's exactly. It. Just to put a point on why it's unsustainable, right? Because this is something we hear a lot. It's like, what you know, essentially, why does Franklin have to change? Like, we're we're doing great, and it's so it, so we're talking about how the current financial model is unsustainable. Just to put a point on sort of what are some of those key pieces. One is that we've already been uh, talking about is we as a town are capped at our, uh, to raise property, uh, the tax levy by two and a half percent. If inflation is above two and a half percent, that's your dollar meaning less on the open market. That's, you know, cost of everything increasing faster than we're able to increase revenue. So the last two years was four and a half percent and eight percent inflation. We were only raised two and a half percent. And we have no way of catching back up to that. Um, you know, the, the, you know, very rarely is it going down. Right. So uh, we're we're sort of always behind. So that's one big one. We talked about uh, the second uh, big one, which is that our infrastructure costs are adding up faster than we're able uh, to keep up with them. Uh, the, the numbers sort of change, but tens of millions, if not over a hundred million uh, backlog in sort of uh, road and sewer um, maintenance work uh, that's already uh, been piling up. So we've sort of been living in this uh, growth or this sort of mirage of having enough money or on, on the expectation that if we just keep growing, we'll always be able to pay for it. And we're sort of realizing that that's uh, not necessarily the case. So we have rising uh, infrastructure cap costs. We got uh, inflation going above. Uh, and, the, and the last one is for a while, the state has given us uh, a certain amount of money, both for our schools and for, uh, you know, just for state aid uh, for the local communities. And the state's sort of realizing, oh, we actually can't keep increasing that uh, at the same rate. Um, 
every year until that starts to flatline or even decrease as we become wealthier community uh, in our uh, schools. And so all of those are sort of money that we thought we had or that we sort of have had over the past 20, 30 years that have allowed us to um, you know, enjoy the current level of services um, that are is just going to become harder and harder. So as we talk about, um, you know, so what does that look like? It does look like uh, you know, us putting much less money in schools. And so, um, you know, maybe our schools uh, drop off and, and then it becomes a less attractive uh, town to go to. And then less people are taking care uh, of their properties and you start to see uh, properties fall apart. I mean, this is like, you know, doomsday scenario stuff. And I don't mean to, but this is what we're trying to, <laughs> this is why we're it's trying to be proactive in, in making smart decisions and making sure that we continue to build a, a sustainable financial um, model because we can't just yeah sit and rest on on our laurels. Um, the, the sort of the market doesn't let us uh, do that. I just think it's also important to know to look at a couple other aspects of this as we <clears throat> excuse me as we move forward and as we have in the last twenty years, uh, the town as well as the schools have looked to these middle elementary school complexes, which a lot of other towns haven't done, we where they share a common core. And that common core saves dollars. Ooh. And we have we're very fortunate. We have three elementary middle school complexes that are new in the last 15 years. And the other piece of zoning, and what concerns me, or and I think where we're headed, is Franklin, there aren't many large parcels of property left in the town. You know, uh, we've purchased a couple. Well, we had, we um, had to save some. <laughs> exactly. And, we did that on and, purpose. And that's, what, and that's what we tried to do by purchasing Maple Street and purchasing Schmidt's Farm. But what that does is that makes these zoning questions and these zoning concerns as we move forward in order to enhance and build on, on uh, new growth, we have to adjust some of the zoning in order for us to continue to do some of these things that we all want to do. Yeah, it, it's funny in the South and in the West, the way that they're sort of dealing, many places are dealing with this conversation of, you know, an unsustainable financial model is they're literally just growing the bounds of the city. They just like expand out. And be like, All right, now this uh, part of the city. Uh, rent them in Norfolk probably wouldn't like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, but we sort of have a natural boundary to yeah, like the extent yeah. that we could put ourselves yeah. in a hole. Right, right. <laughs> this is, to Tom's point, this is kind of why I joke sometimes that your community is really in its Needhamization phase. You know, this is exactly what Needham was going through 10 or 15 years ago, right. where you've essentially built out your community. You've got very few parcels left for large scale development. You know, the questions of density and the questions of where do you want the growth and the questions of what style and character versus what's feasible for a private developer. We heard Joe Halligan's amazing example of, hey, if I got to buy three parcels of land off Ruggles to build one four you know, unit yep. you know, duplex, 
uh, you know, like that's going to cost five million dollars for yeah. buying land. Well, that's what Needham was going through ten or fifteen years ago, and now Needham's still going through it today. Uh, there's an article about Newton uh, with mm-hmm. the MBTA communities, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody thinks of Newton as the big city, and yeah, there's some element to it, but they're still struggling with density in Newton. Um, and density is a, a, a harsh and hard thing to get through. And so um, these are the questions, ultimately, to Kobe's point, um, the community is going to have to work through um, over the coming years to put itself in a, in a position where these projects are even feasible um, yeah. for the development community. Yeah. Um, and that we're not just, uh, as I, that fun fact, right, to Brad's point earlier, town of Franklin has lost population in the last two years. Yes. Lost population. Most people look at me and they like a deer caught in headlights. What? Say they that can't possibly be true. It is totally <laughs> true. Right? Yeah. Um, birth rates have gone almost non-existent. I'm sorry to break the news. If you go to if you go to Nancy and you go to the if you go to the data like I have, is completely leveled off. There is no spike in additional children coming from the people who currently live in the town of Franklin. Right. It is it, you know, maybe there'll be another baby boom at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, you know, but again, we're talking years possibly down the lo- down the line here. I mean, we're talking yeah. could be a long way away. Yeah. Uh, could be a whole generation away, another ten years before you see another population spike. And this is again what a high growth community went through when Franklin was in its nineties, you know, the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands was just off the charts mm-hmm. in terms of its growth trajectory. And now it, everyone has come back down to reality. The high school is now 20 students below capacity for the first time for the first time and it will be and i'm sure by the end of next year it'll be 50 to 75 students below the designed capacity of the building for the chair of the building committee mr mercer i mean you knew this day was coming you could (laughs) see the data was clear on when this was going to happen but i just illustrate that to people because to listeners the town of Franklin has lost population in the last couple of years overall. And the high school at the end of next fiscal year will be anywhere between 50 to 100 students less than what capacity of the high school is. These trends, we just can't blow by them. Right. These are important right. factoids for people to understand the context also about budget. You know, at one point, the, the town was building modular classrooms on every right, yeah. building in town. Right. To, 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 for those that don't know what modular classrooms are, right? They're, they're, basically, still tra- are they're basically construction trailers. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. And for kids to educate kids for, you did for decades, two, was, two decades. Those. Well, those are now gone. I don't think anyone wants them to return. Um, and there's no need for them to return at all because the capacity of the schools is, is, is pretty pretty huge which is still putting another decision on the schools because they still have to work how to right. meet that requirement which they've decided not to redistrict they really have to get into their own facility analysis piece that's a whole separate other topic but they're working on that, <laughs> we don't piece do that because much. it comes yeah. back it comes yeah. back as an input so into our overall master well, plan which is going to be starting and clearly that's right. going to be a topic of discussion one of the other factors we've talked around, but I'm a perfect example of it, where I've got a two-story colonial. It's effectively just the two of us. I can't go elsewhere. We've got, call it, I think, 80% residential in our town. 
70 to 75 percent is single family homes. Mm -hmm. We need to diversify our housing mix so that people like me, and there's a bunch of me, I'm not the only one, can move and still stay in the town, do something affordable, but free up the space so that, oh, by the way, the younger families can come in and then start growing so that we can maintain some growth. Because, yeah, unless we start making these changes, we're on the wrong we're on the wrong path yeah yeah we'll just we'll just become an older and older community and um sort of less of it'll, it'll just look like a different community it's right. not necessarily a bad no i think no. one of the things we talked about when ed augustus was here was about the density in downtown and um we talked a little bit last week about about the the design review and and how um, are the roads downtown are are a little different? How do we make people safe, feel safer, and more comfortable? And it's and Ed would just say it's density. Like it, we just need to have more people downtown. Then more people want to go there, and then right. more things will grow. That's right. Right. So um, I think that that's really for me. That's the really exciting part about it. Like how do we get there? How do we get um, how do we get that growth? While we still keep on, hold on to our Franklin-ness, I guess is what I want, our Franklin yeah. stamp, right? Yeah. And so um, that's, to me, this is what it's all about. And also, but also it's really important for the budget and, and for our revenue and, and all these other aspects. So it's all, everything's connected. I always tell people it's, mm-hmm. it's really complicated because everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that to me is really super important. I do worry that some um, bankers, I've, I think Brad told me about to get a loan to do a project. If there's a, if you don't have certain zoning rules in the town, they won't lend to you, or it's too much of a risk. Like if you have to go through all these special permits constantly, mm-hmm. it's just like way too much of a risk. And he couldn't even get the money to do the building that we want him to do. Banks don't like risks, right? Right. Banks don't like risks. And you're both that. Right. So it's, how do you get them to feel good about town managers don't like red? No, either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nor should they. <laughs> it's really risky, right? It's like yeah, everything. Of course it is. It's, yeah. un- it's unforeseen. And risk is cost. Yeah. And risk Bottom is cost. Line. I, w- I wanted to add one more sort of element to this conversation of uh, where, you know, sort of how we zone, how we plan um, and revenue. Uh, not every parcel in Franklin is the same base uh, value. Uh, land downtown is more valuable because of its connection to other resources, including the train and including um, you know, shops and uh, lights and and you know, better roads. Because of that connection, it is inherently more valuable. Um, I, I put together, I really liked the work of uh, this group called Urban Three, who does these sort of value by value per acre uh, analyses, and they um, try to figure out what are the properties that are really paying the most per amount of service, using per acre as a, a loose term of amount of like infrastructure service um, that it, it costs to to maintain uh, those places. Mm-hmm. And our downtown is like way way more uh, value property tax uh, per acre than um, our sort of uh, edge properties. Um, and if we can attach this- uh, well, to it's just water sewers. Water sewers, huge. That's yeah, the big absolutely. one, I mean, but that's, yeah. ev- but that's, 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 that's everywhere. I mean, sure. I mean absolutely. You can, right. I mean, that's widespread across the board. I mean, you look at a per 
uh, an acre no. of a virgin acre with water sewer versus a virgin acre with no water sewer. Right, right that alone is a, is a, it's got to be potential. 30% yeah, more value. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the right number is, but it's pretty substantial. But yeah, so if we're looking yeah. if we're looking to add uh, a home in Franklin in order to get um, new growth, the there's a difference between we already talked about right, building out new infrastructure uh, is expensive, but even putting it on uh, an edge property, I'm putting an apartment complex on uh, the edge of town, you know, end of Washington Street, mm -hmm. um, is different than putting that same whatever 15 unit apartment complex uh, downtown. Mm -hmm. Not only does that 15 unit apartment complex um, provide uh, people to walk to our businesses, keep them open and, and uh, all of that that you just talked about, it literally brings us more uh, value for, for doing the same uh, amount of things. So that also you know, sort of factors into mm -hmm. uh, how we make these And those are hard because then people don't want apartments. So, you know, we want, I mean, this is just to peel the onion back to the listeners. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about what should happen well, what does that mean to Franklin? How are we going to get there, right? That means that means taking land along East Central Street, right, in what we would call GR5 down in the Ruggles area, over off of Emmons, the feeder streets into the Triangle area of downtown. That means, Absolutely. you know, dead, right. I mean, but I think for the folks at home, what does this all mean? I mean, I think the rules need to be written in a way that make it so that more apartments or condos or higher density are around there. Well, what's the catch to that? I think there's some people that are probably concerned about character. Mm -hmm. There's some people probably concerned about those homes that are along, um, you know, Emmons, Hillside, Dean, School, all those mm -hmm. neighborhoods. They like that single family Victorian quarter acre lots, farm sure. older home, right? So yeah. I think this is where, you know, and then Joe's, got a nine Joe's example. Podcast I, series. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I think, those you know, I think, yeah. I think yeah. these are the balancing acts that, you know, we all as local officials have to try to deal with. Um, and, um, you know, none of this happens quickly. Right. And, it, you know, it's <laughs> even like, if you laid out all the rules today, it'll still be years before you see any of these revenue streams. Right. Generated. And it doesn't mean like we, we change our zoning. So we want to see um, multi more multifamily, but up to a certain point. Right. I mean, that was all the inclusionary zoning discussions yeah. we talked about. And in right. so this podcast, we talked a lot about incremental. Yeah. Growth. yeah. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be doesn't have to be a huge building. That's not what people want. But like they like a. 20 unit per acre building people like those and people you know and um they don't even know how well, dense know it is not, yeah. when they look at it right right so um those are the things and, and that's you know that's part of our education too but um th those would are what people want to see mm -hmm. and uh, when you say Brad, yeah, more on the more on the, uh, the I'll say the boutique side, right? Right. Yeah. You know, it's just it has a little more character. I think just being a little smaller. I think anywhere under you know really under thirty, you know, twenty. I'll say twenty, but not twenty is kind of that size. Yeah. Kind of fits, I think, with the character. The buildings aren't that big. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes people perceive them to be. I'll laugh sometimes at Birchwood is twenty units per acre or something. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. it. Well, if you put them up on a hill, well. All of that. It's um, <laughs> it looks a lot but, bigger. <laughs> I got a jab. But it's very true. No, it's very true. It's, it's all perception, yeah. 
right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but people look like at, his look buildings. At, yeah, look at I, East Central Street. Yeah. People's perception is like the World Trade Center, you know, like oh, all of a sudden, miraculously. thousand units. I mean, it's yeah. just a thousand units, you know, and, and not yeah. one person is even living in them yet. They're not even occupied. They're not even finished. And people are blaming the traffic jams on East Central Street just on that building. Yeah, it's I like, well, no one lives that. there yet, you know? And, <laughs> Yeah, well, they're also blaming. They that's one of the reasons why I don't think they believe that that the population has gone down. Right. And I'm like, but nobody lives in those buildings yet, so we don't have that increase yet. But that, that I'm just changing the subject. But yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. go back to I'm just trying to find that's a different. You're going to wind down. Yeah. We'll get. I mean, we get into apartments and transit, and you're going to see. We've had so much class A apartments being built in the right. last five years, and that that's really what you're going to see. The issue is going to be is the affordability of that. Right. And that's those, exactly right. All those people just. You know, if we're in high school, right? They're decreased. Well, those people are renting apartments now, right? Mm-hmm. So that was part of that big demand. But now that big demand has went through inflation of construction, someone's got to pay for all that. That's why sure. you see rents, you know, three bedrooms in Franklin, right. three thousand dollars, two bedrooms, twenty eight hundred. Yeah. Right. So I think you're going to see if any any issues with the stuff that backlog that went through, you're going to see it in that the luxury apartment side of things. Right. That's what people are crawling over. Class mm-hmm. class. And where are most people moving from to move to Franklin today? They were living in Newton. They were living maybe in Fort Line. They were living in Wells. They were living in other communities while they were renting. Now they want to raise a family. They're coming out here because it's a little more affordable, mm-hmm. actually much more affordable than than their other communities they want to live in, like Needham. Yeah, um, right. or like a Dover or like a Medfield. Mm-hmm. And here's a great value, which is going to increase your property values all alone, to your point. Yeah. What are we seeing applications for, Brad, right? We saw 121 Grove Street, luxury, right? Essentially a luxury, you know, building. With an affordability mix, an affordability. but it was affordable right. because it was going to be luxury. Right. Yeah. And so you still see, you know, that market, I think you're, I think you're 100% right, which yeah. makes the affordability going to be the future problem. Right. So if we want to hear that our children have a place to live and that <laughs> our grand our parents we can you know have a place yes ADUs is one solution but structurally um, you know it's it's just going to take a lot more um, can do spirit a lot more money mm-hmm. a lot more state resources yeah. uh, a lot more of everybody and changing zoning to accommodate for you know mandating that you know units have to be deeded affordable in some sort mm-hmm. of way. Uh, and otherwise, housing, that's the only way you can do it. Yeah, diversity um, in the housing choice, I think, is a huge thing. I think the trouble is with. The, I think it is huge. I think, with all due respect to Brad, and and I empathize with this. If I'm sitting in his shoes, I got to go get a. And we we all empathize. With it. He's got to go to a bank. He's got to get capital. Yeah. He's got to go out and take the risk. He can't afford affordable units. It's just it's yeah. just a fact of life. Yeah. And so you see, with me, with Franklin Ridge, I mean, I can't do any more. I mean, I've banged up the elected officials. I've gotten Congressman Auchincloss' year for three years. It's getting earmarked. We're almost right there in the federal appropriation. The state chipped in their three and a half million. The town chipped in a million plus the acreage. We got the town did all the work to get that permitted for 60 units so that Steve Sherlock could move out of his single family <laughs> home with his wife and, and sell that home Same to a young family. Right. And that's what's all Look, folks, right. this is just not happening right right it's it i've got secured roughly five to ten million and i've done all the permitting as a municipality to do this project and i'm still 10 years away from filling those units mm-hmm. from securing the financing going out to bid constructing the project dealing with supply chain problems probably in 2029 mm-hmm. <laughs> right some other year 
and then and then occupancy and then filling them. Okay. Yes, I am scaring everybody. I, yeah, <laughs> in the sense that even, I can't do it. if if the if the town can't do it, and I'm showing you how hard it is, and Brad and Joe and all the other local developers can't go get the money right. to build the affordable units. Where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. And this fallacy that our previous governor and others, sorry, talk about supply and demand economics. I'm sorry. Like, even if you built 50,000 units right. in a couple of years, it ain't going to drive down the price of housing. Oh. And I think I think these are really challenging dynamics because I don't think there's a very clear answer. Otherwise, we would have already done it. We're going to now bestow Mr. Augustus, as the Secretary of Housing, <laughs> right. whatever that is, agency name, yeah. to do this. He'll because I think, we're, I think Brad and I are looking at each other as the yeah. folks in the marketplace trying to say, it, you know, here I am trying to build. We need the money. Is that what you're saying? Help I'm us. trying to help <laughs> yeah. you, and, and you. We're there's <laughs> no easy answer. Yeah. No, no, there's not, not at <laughs> all. Not and for the answer. for the folks who may not recognize Franklin Ridge, that's the proposed senior housing behind the existing Eaton Place, right? Which is what we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is a good kind of closing point for this particular session. Clearly, it reinforces a couple of pieces of points that we've talked about so far. It should give us a better understanding of why we're doing this. Oh, by the way, there is money involved, and we need to have the smart growth because we need to get the bigger pie in order to get the money in order to do everything. So stay tuned into these ongoing discussions. Council will be having decisions. Economic development will still be working through some proposals. The time, if ever, we've said it before, the time, if ever, is now to be involved in order to make the changes that will still, to your point, Jamie, will take years before they actually become effective and help us. But if we don't do it now, (laughs) then the doomsday scenario comes in. So we don't want that. I I would say, if you want to learn more, so we sort of, the the conversation started with that growth and it got into, okay, but then what are all the ramifications? That's really what this uh, series uh, has been. So if you want to learn more about uh, the finances of affordable units, if you want to hear more about what incremental growth uh, would look like at uh, the downtown and other places, if you want to hear uh, from Ed Augustus, the new housing secretary, um, <laughs> about uh, sort of, you know, how to develop uh, different communities and walkability and, and all of that, if you want to uh, learn how the design and how this will look different, uh, listen to our previous uh, episodes and, and hopefully future episodes where we continue to dive into sort of the ramifications of some of these conversations. Right. And if you have a question, oh yeah, please reach out to us and yeah. we will attack attack that question for you as, uh, on a podcast or on the street or uh, wherever we are at a town council meeting. Strawberry stroll. At the strawberry stroll. Yeah. And um, other places. <laughs> and, and it's, um, I think it's really, it's been a very enlightening series for me because I learn even more every time we talk. So um, thank you, Steve, so much. And let's thank our special guests, Jamie, Helen, and Tom Mercer over there. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. You have any parting, anything parting to say? Well, I, I guess this is why, you know, the two most important things that the uh, town council has to deal with, number one is the budget, obviously, uh, but number two is zoning. And uh, those fall under our purview. And as I alluded to earlier, there not being as much land as there once was in the town, uh, the only way to do this is to relook at the zoning. 
and see what we can do to enhance it. And that's what we're doing. And that's what you folks on economic development uh, doing a great job. <laughs> A thankless job, but a great job. Uh, putting, oh, you just uh, thanked us. Thanks, yeah. Tom. <laughs> That's your thank you. Don't tell anybody I said thank you. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's like going well. You know, like somebody eventually will know this. <laughs> well, somebody has to do it. It's really important. And as Steve said, we have to do it now, so that um, twenty years from now, it's already done. Like we'll see, we'll see the um, the effects of what we've done today. Uh, you heard the summary. Uh, we thank you for listening. Come back. There'll be more. And we do this as a quick reminder because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.